And hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of the ACC Now podcast. I am your host for the week. I'm not sure if that news will disappoint you or delight you, but it's Andrew Carter, a longtime reporter with the NNO, formerly of the UNC beat, now cover the ACC, college athletics as a whole, other general happenings around the state of North Carolina, and it is my pleasure to be with you this week. And ladies and gentlemen, it's already mid-April. That basically means a college football season is here. Not quite. Practice doesn't start. Real practice, that is, doesn't start until another, uh, I don't know, several months, not until early August. But talking about it season is here. The official arrival of that every year comes in the spring with the arrival of spring football practice. We had spring games in Chapel Hill this past week. We had another one in Raleigh the week before that. And folks, I must confess that I've always had a bit of a love-hate relationship, I must say it, uh, with college football's spring football season. And that journalistically, I always questioned the value of covering it. Now, granted, we couldn't really see anything. They're not playing real games. Basically, you would show up at the end of practice, interview some guys. A coach would talk every so often about what he would see. And so it was always kind of this frustrating endeavor of writing about things that you can't see that other people are telling you about. And it just sort of felt a bit weird to me, the entire experience. I kind of came to believe that covering spring football was for sports writers who had sinned. Honestly, like this was uh, this was our penance. We had done something wrong. This was our punishment, uh, you know, to make things right. Living in gluttony and sin for months and months. The end of football season, college basketball season ends in early April. And then, oh, by the way, you have to cover spring football. And so that was sort of my take on it. I'm not saying that take has changed. It sort of still is my take on it. That's not to say it's not valuable. Players can get better. Coaches can get a better understanding of what they have to work with, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, indeed, I do find it to believe the unofficial start of uh, talking about college football in a, in, in a more educated way in terms of looking ahead to what's coming. And so to help me do that, very honored to be joined by today's guest. She and I became good friends. Uh, a long time ago during our time together at the Orlando Sentinel. I'm happy to report that we still are good friends. Had the pleasure of her company, uh, along with her colleague David Hale, last week when they were in town. And they both do a tremendous job covering the ACC for ESPN.com. And sometimes people just say that in this business. Uh, But dang it, I really mean it, folks. They do a great job covering. covering the ACC for ESPN.com. And so without further ado, Andrea Adelson, longtime scribe, reporter, uh, extraordinaire from ESPN.com. Andrea, how long have you been now with with the worldwide leader? Well, I like how you called me a scribe. I am going to put that in my Twitter bio now. We go way back with you as a scribe. We do. Um, I have been at ESPN since... 2010. Am I dating myself now? I probably am. Wow. Old school. And of course, Andrea and I go way back, as I mentioned in the intro, longtime colleagues at the Orlando Sentinel back in the day, back in my Florida State beat writing years. Andrea came up in South Florida, right? Miami? Yeah, that's right. Was it fan of the hurricanes and the vintage years, the classic years? 
I guess, That's going right. back and, and went to UF and was a much better time for college football back then when you were coming up in Florida. <laughs> I, I feel like. Yes, there were national championships to be won by three teams in the state of Florida when I was coming up. It was fun. I mean, that's kind of, uh, that's where I got my love of college football, right? I mean, you're growing up in the 80s and 90s and you're seeing all three of those programs take center stage, taking their turns, winning championships. And uh, it just felt as if I need to be a part of this because it was so exciting and so compelling and all the storylines and the bitterness and the anger and hatred and rivalries. Um, I love that about college football. And uh, hopefully one of these, I'm not even going to say days, I'm going to say hopefully one of these years, those three schools can recapture some of that magic. One of these decades, maybe. Yes. Decades is a good one. Maybe, maybe in the future. Well, Andrea, we're, we're pumped to have you here. I'm really excited uh, personally just to be able to, to have you on the ACC Now podcast, a wildly popular ACC Now podcast, which I, th- I, don't, I don't even know what the metrics say, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's probably one of the most popular podcasts going. And you and I uh, are fans of, of maybe one that's slightly more popular, if you can believe it, the Conan O'Brien needs a friend podcast, which we recommend. We're not getting paid. We should because we have such a reach. Yeah. We're on ACC now. But but an homage of the Conan O'Brien needs a friend podcast. Andrea, how do you feel to be my friend? Well, I, I find it hard to believe there's a bigger following for that podcast than for this one. Um, but as it's hard to believe as fellow redheads, the three of us, there's a kinship, I feel, as a ginger. <laughs> Uh, with you and with Conan, to be honest. Uh, so I am overjoyed to be your friend, Andrew. I really am because, you know, we come across colleagues all the time and either you remain close with them through the years, through different jobs, through different life situations, or you lose touch a little bit. And... um I just love that we have maintained our friendship, our witty banter, our Indeed. dark humor. Um, it's witty to us. <laughs> it's witty to us. Um, so I really mean it. I'm so proud to call you a friend. Likewise, my friend. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Uh, all true words. Uh, very heartfelt. I agree with everything you just said. I too am honored. And, uh, and so, yeah, so let's kind of get to it. You were recently up here in the triangle, uh, with the esteemed David Hale, a little, uh, ESPN ACC crew spring tour up here. You had stops, I believe at NC state and Chapel Hill, uh, really everywhere, right? Durham, Winston-Salem, correct? You, you hit all four, if I'm not mistaken. We hit all four and quick shout out to the Angus Barn, which is where we had dinner on the first night we got there. Uh, It was delicious as usual and uh, had a great time. The Wild Turkey Lounge. Yes. I had to use my coupons. It was very good. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, always a good time with the cheese up there and the crackers, uh, unpartial to the ribs. Um, But if I recall correctly, I think... We met up there after you had spent some time in Chapel Hill, which kind of is a good segue. I kind of want to get into talking some UNC. Uh, this is Mac Brown's, what, four, fourth year, fifth year coming up back in Mac Point 2? I think fourth or fifth. 
I kind of lost track of all time with COVID and the pandemic. Same. Uh, I don't even know what year it is, Andrew. But but one of those. 18 was his first year, or no, 19 was his first year. So 19, 20, 21, 22, fifth year. Wow. Um, Yeah, time flies. Uh, And people up here in this neck of the woods, especially UNC fans, have kind of been waiting for you know, that next step. And that's not to say that UNC hasn't been competitive. They did make the Orange Bowl in that COVID season. Lots of highs under uh, Sam Howell within the quarterback. Drake May was in the Heisman conversation a little bit last year. I'm not sure how realistic that ever was, but but it happened. You know, they were 9-1 and one, uh, at one point last year. Um, from your perspective, how close is UNC maybe to taking that next step? What do they need to do to get there? Obviously, we can talk about defense a bit, but how realistic is it, you know, for those Tar Heel fans out there who are waiting and waiting and waiting for you know, UNC to kind of become a bigger player nationally? How close do you think that is to happening? Well, we asked Mac Brown that exact question when we sat with him in his office because you're right. I think based on Mac coming back, the fact that they have recruited really well, the fact that they've had two exceptional quarterbacks now and Sam Howell and obviously Drake May lead you to believe at some point this team is going to have a breakthrough, right? And yet it hasn't quite happened. And so when we asked Mac, he basically said, well, that all depends on how we stack up against Clemson and Has Clemson taken a step back? I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) And that's the rub in all of this, right? Is even though it appears as if, it appears as if Clemson is not as strong and mighty as it was when it made those six straight college football playoff appearances, North Carolina still was not competitive in the ACC championship game against Clemson a year ago. And this is a Clemson team that had all sorts of issues on offense. And yet their freshman quarterback, Cade Klubnik, uh, looked like he was uh, the second coming of Trevor Lawrence in that game. So I understand why Mac answers that way. And yet at some point, other teams in the ACC are going to have to find a way to permanently overtake Clemson. It happened that one year in 21 uh, when Pitt won the ACC. That one year. That one year. But since 2014, uh, it's been Clemson. And nobody has been able to solve that or figure it out, even though they have known that's the answer to the test, right? And so when you look at the composition and the makeup of this North Carolina team headed into the season, you have to feel good about Drake May coming back, right? You have to feel good about some of the transfers now that are going to be coming in, specifically at wide receiver, which will help. And in fact, Mac Brown told me he has no concerns about production at wide receiver uh, with Tez Walker and Nate McCollum now uh, filling in for Antoine Green and um, Josh Downs. So that's good, right? Um, But there are question marks all over the place. And that obviously starts with the defense. How much better is this defense going to be? And when David and I were in Chapel Hill, we sat down and talked to Gene Chizik at length. And it was a really fascinating conversation 
for a lot of different reasons. He was blunt and he was honest about what happened last season. There's no way to sugarcoat that. We all saw it on tape. We all saw it live <laughs> with our own eyes, what happened. Um, and so one of the questions is, how do you how do you fix things? And he feels that they are in better position now with a knowledge of the defense and the things that he's asking them to do. He feels that they're in better position with their revamp secondary, uh, having lost some guys to the transfer portal, but also bringing in some guys they feel can be better. Uh, and he feels good about uh, the guys that they have returning up front. Now, I think one of the main takeaways that I had was he put a lot of the issues that happened last season on what happened on the back end of that defense. And that was a, a major problem for a lot of reasons. But one of the bigger ones beyond giving up all those big plays was it didn't really allow them to generate much of a pass rush because if you're really not in sync with your defensive backfield, it's going to be a lot harder to be able to get after the quarterback, which helps explain some of the low numbers there in terms of rushing the passer in sacks and tackles for loss. Obviously, we know they're returning some terrific players at linebacker, but they have to build some depth behind said Gray and Power Eccles because they don't want them to play as many snaps as they did a year ago. I mean, Gene Chizik told us he apologized to mm -hmm. said Gray because he was on the field so much. So I don't know that all of those questions have answers, though, yet. I expect them to be better, but I don't know how much better they will be considering where I think both Clemson and Florida State are going to be defensively headed into the season. So um, I, I know I just took a long time trying to explain that and answer it. More of the concern remains on the defensive side of the ball. And... If it's not going to be a huge increase in the efficiency and productivity of that defense, it doesn't really matter what Drake May is going to do. It's going to be the same situation that they had a year ago. Yeah, and that's the thing to me. It's like if you have Drake May and Sam Howell for four years, and the highlight of that is basically the Orange Bowl appearance when, you know, they I guess we're quasi-competitive against Texas A&M uh, that year, but both teams without some key players. That whole season was kind of weird. Like, you know, it wasn't, in hindsight, some memorable, triumphant season for UNC. So if that's the highlight, you know, for four years of those two quarterbacks, I mean, that has to be looked at as a wasted opportunity, right? Which really, to me, enhances the pressure surrounding this team entering this year. Is that, do you think that's a fair take? I do think that's a fair take because when you have quarterbacks that are difference makers, I mean, the potential number one overall pick in next year's draft, and all you can really do is get to nine wins and an Orange Bowl appearance. And by the way, it was celebrated that they were competitive in that game, which, again, is very hard to wrap my brain around. It was like, oh, they didn't get blown out. I mean, that's what we're talking about right. with the expectation level in some of these games. But you're absolutely right. When you have, I don't want to say generational, in the case of Drake, 
It probably fits depending on how everything goes this season. I mean, we all expect him to be either one or two in the 24 draft between him and Caleb Williams, right? Um, and you're not able to put all the pieces around him to be able to get to a point where you can be a legitimate ACC championship and playoff contender, then yeah, you have to scratch your head and say, well, what was all that for if it doesn't come together for you the way that you had hoped that it would? Um, I don't know that North Carolina has enough right now to say we're a casual playoff contender. I I just am not sure after being able to watch some of the practice and then watch the the spring game that there's going to be enough there defensively for this team. And honestly, I still need to see more out of the offensive line. I know they have really tried to revamp that and embrace being more physical up front and try and develop a stronger running game, maybe closer to what we saw in that COVID year uh, headed into the season. But I don't know. And when the game is on the line, it's great to talk now about being a physical running team, but you're probably going to want the ball at Drake May's hands when the game is on the line. So I still think there are so many questions about what this is all going to look like. What is Chip Lindsay going to do when he calls the games? How is the run game going to fit and complement what Drake does? That um, it, it's hard for me to sit here and say, I think this is a team that is going to take the next step head into the season. I think the potential is there, hmm. but I'm just not ready to say, yeah, this is going to be the year where they win 12 and make the playoff. But one more thing I wanted to touch on related to the heels. Uh, and I think about this in the context uh, of my history covering Florida State way back when. And of course, I was there uh, the last three years under Bobby Bowden. And recruiting was never the issue for Florida State during those years. They were still bringing in great classes and, you know, highly touted kids. And, you know, honestly, I've thought about those years under Bowden. And and this era a little bit under Mac because the recruiting rankings have been great. Yeah, you know, really. I mean, up up to a point up until I think last year their overall class rankings slipped a little bit. Uh, this cycle's not off to a great start. Um, but this is kind of a continuation a little bit to me from Mac's years at Texas, where like the recruiting didn't really drop off that much, but the on field results did. And so UNC fans who, you know, this is not a knock really against UNC fans, but they're not familiar with. A, a lot of high level college football success. And so they look at these rankings and they're like, man, we're, you know, like we're supposed to be really good. <laughs> What's going on? And so I'm wondering in your mind, I mean, how much criticism or whatever do you think does Mac deserve for not developing guys? Is it on his assistance? What do you attribute kind of, I don't know, the, the lack of translation between these rankings? Like I think about you know, a kid like Tony Grimes, who of course has transferred out. You know, at one point I want to say he was like, you know, if not the number one overall recruit in his class, certainly the top defensive back recruit. Right. Uh, and, you know, he regressed like, the, you know, the best portion of his time at UNC was when he was a freshman. Um, and so I'm wondering, I guess, you know, from kind of, I don't know, a, a higher viewpoint than what we have here locally, we kind of get bogged down in detail. But what is kind of you know, the, the national take or the more regional take about the inability for Mac to kind of get the most out of these kids? Yeah, it's a great question. 
And I think we have seen him try and retool the staff specifically on the defensive side of the ball over the last couple of years to try and address some of those concerns that you just raised. And I know people were surprised with the parting of Dre Bly, but it felt as if it was time because of what you just mentioned. And it's not just Tony Grimes. A lot of the players that they recruited on the back end of that defense regressed. And there's a reason why there was so much turnover there when this season ended. And I don't know how many folks inside the building were surprised or made an effort to try and keep those guys. I think it was time for everybody to just move on and start fresh. The question that I have, and I think the world of of Gene Chizik, you know, I got to know him when he was a colleague at ESPN working at the SEC Network, is when you decide, okay, we need to be better defensively. And I give Matt credit for that when he made that decision to move on and go in a different direction headed into last season is you go and hire somebody who hasn't been in the game for five years. And I think there was a bit of a learning curve for Gene as well. And Gene will admit that, that you're coming in, you haven't been a coordinator for five years. Offenses are completely different from the last time that you served as a defensive coordinator. The ACC looks completely different, except for Clemson, from the last time that you've served as a a defensive coordinator. And so I think there was an adjustment period there that maybe people didn't really expect or anticipate. And when you're making a hire like that, knowing that you want to do something different with your defense, I think it's fair to say, was that the hire in that moment at that time? I think we'll know a lot more about Gene and what they're trying to do headed into this season because I think he has more of a comfort level and I think that the players have a more more of a comfort level with him. Um, and so, you know, when he went ahead and and revamped some of the staff this year, he brought in um, you know, a coach who worked with Charlton Warren in the past so that all those guys can maybe be on the same page. Um, and so that to me is a big thing is that Mac has tried to fix it, but ultimately did he make the right hires to fix it? I think that's going to be the bigger question because Mac is not out there working positionally with players, right? I mean, that's not the job of the head coach, but his job is to hire the right assistants to put the players in position to develop and succeed. So ultimately, I do think it's fair to question some of that if those players this year aren't developed and aren't taking that next step because now he's tried to revamp the staff two years. And if it doesn't work, uh, I think there will be some tough questions that he should face and answer. Indeed. And uh, my lasting memory of Gene Shizik, the first go around, of course, I was covering UNC at that point, and this was in your hometown now in Orlando when the Tar Heels went down there and gave up 760 yards, I think, rushing against against Baylor. Estimate. (laughs) It was literally the most yards rushing any team has ever had in any bowl game in history ever which is just a uh, a wild stat. And then they're like, yeah, let's bring back Gene Chizik. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit mean uh, or oversimplified, but but I agree. You know, it's fair to, fair to question that. But staying here locally in the triangle, uh, you know, you had a, a, an opportunity to spend some time with Dave Doran, 
uh, which, which uh, I'm sure was very exciting. We, we like to give Dave a little bit of a hard time because sometimes he's not the most thrilling of interviews, but, um, but you can't argue with the results in recent years. You know, you, you talk about UNC, this program that has had difficulty really, you know, getting the most out of its guys and kind of translating that recruiting success to on the field. NC State has been a program that hasn't had a ton of recruiting success, at least compared to, you know, some of these other schools, the Clemsons, uh, you know, UNC within the conference, Miami, uh, and yet State has been pretty solid. Uh, and yet, you know, here again, we're talking about them as a program that should be kind of in the mix uh, next fall going forward, despite some losses on defense. What were your takeaways from your visit uh, with you and David? Uh, I guess the two Daves, David Hale and, and Dave Doran, when you guys had an opportunity to spend some time together in Raleigh. Well, you know, I, I think that it's a credit to what Dave Doran has done that he's one of the longest tenured coaches in the ACC, which, again, is hard to believe sometimes that he's been around um, as long as he has. But it's just a testament to the job that he's done in developing his players. And you talk about a program that his own North Carolina in recent years on the football field, right? Um, that's certainly something that that Dave and the program hang their hat on. Um, and so I just, it's that mentality that nobody believes in us, right? The nobody respects us that they play over and over again. I think it works for them. I think it's something that allows them to get the most out of their players because they drill that in over and over. If, if Dave Doran is saying that to us, right? Nobody respects us. Nobody pays attention to us. What is he saying to his players? It's got to be yeah. even more uh, than what he's saying to the well, media. That, that interview on ABC last year he did during the Carolina yes. game, like exactly, exactly. So, but 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 that's what well, that's I think what that program thrives on. That's what those players thrive on, and I think that's why we see them play, especially on defense the way that they do. Um, and I watched that spring game and it was hard to watch because yeah. it was a monsoon <laughs> and it was, you know, what are you doing out there? But that defense looked like it looks like it's still going to be pretty tough, even though they have lost a bunch of guys. Obviously, we know the linebackers are still going to be pretty strong. And when I mentioned that to Dave Doran, he's like, we didn't even have like most of our defensive linemen that we're going to be starting playing in the spring game. So I still think defensively this team is going to be really tough. And quite honestly, um, as much as they have developed quarterbacks there um, under Tim Beck and obviously before him with Eli Drinkwitz, you know, they're generally solid at the quarterback position. I feel like making this change now with Robert and I and doing something just a little bit different a, yep. something that's going to be a little bit more unexpected on offense for them. I think that's a great move um, because while we saw the offense generally put up decent numbers, it wasn't an offense that scared you a lot, right? Like, ooh, what are we going to get out of this offense? But I think now with both Robert and I and if Brennan Armstrong is going to be the starting quarterback, 
they're going to be able to keep defenses a little bit more off balance, I think, than what they have done in their recent history. And to me, that almost feels like they're bringing their offense now into a more modern era. And I'll use air quotes loosely on that as well, Um, because you kind of knew what you were getting out of the NC State offense. Right. And, you know, it was good, but it wasn't like, ooh, I need to tune in and watch what they're doing. I think people will view it differently now with Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong, because um, that Virginia offense and even at times last year against Syracuse, they were really fun to watch. And uh, I don't think anybody out there would say NC State was really fun to watch on offense previously. Uh, But I think they have the potential to be this year. I really do. Yeah, my dumb Twitter take last year for like half the season was like, if you could combine the NC State defense and the UNC offense, that's that's a top five team. Yeah. Which which maybe it it, it could have been. Of course, NC State did get a lot of pub preseason last year. I can't remember what they were, but they were like top 15, uh, which for, you know, which for NC State is kind of uncharted territory. Um, But my hot take is that this Wolfpack team could actually be better this year yes. for, the re- for the reasons that you just outlined and defensively. I, I agree. I agree completely. I had this conversation with David Hill. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, but, no, please. Um, You know, I, I feel like going into this season is where they want to be. No one's talking about them. That's what they like, right? <laughs> they don't want people to be saying, ooh, preseason 15, look at NC State. They want people to... Uh, say, you're no good anymore, go to the back of the line. I really think the combination of what they've done on offense and who they have coming back, but also some of the younger players I saw in the spring game on defense, I think they could be pretty good. I really do. Indeed. Andrea, a few minutes left here. I want to get uh, kind of your your broad take on the ACC, not so much on the field. You know, we kind of, we know what the league is. It's been Clemson and kind of everybody else for a long time. Florida State, like you alluded to earlier, I think has a great chance maybe to to break that up a little bit this year and get back to what they were. Miami were in in constant like waiting to see mode. Are they going to capitalize on all that talent? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? The talent is there. Um, but long term, like on a global scale, when it comes to the ACC, what's your take on just like I don't know the state of the conference, the health of it? Because there is sort of this perception that the league is just kind of like doomed long term and it's going to fall apart that you have Clemson and you know maybe Florida State Miami some of these other schools even you know I hear from UNC fans up here who can't wait to get it out of the ACC who are dying to get into the SEC uh, other schools maybe dying to get into the Big Ten but it does seem like you know the league is sort of facing a crisis um, at this point and there is a grant of rights obviously that's keeping it together um, but curious just about you know, your opinion on the state of the conference and its long-term viability? Well, I would just say for UNC fans who want to get in the SEC, careful what you wish for. Um, And we will see what happens with Texas and Oklahoma um, once they join the SEC, how that transition is going to work out with them because um, more money might be really great, but it doesn't necessarily translate into championships. Um, But I understand why there is this desire to go anywhere but where they are right now, because on the outside, it does look like it's only a matter of time before the SEC and the Big Ten decide to flex their muscles once again 
and expand and nobody wants to be left sitting at a table by themselves without a place to go, right? And so there already is jockeying within some schools in the conference for what are we going to do the next time there's realignment? And, and it's not an if. It's not an if. It's a when, right? Nothing in the history of collegiate athletics suggests we're done here. There are always waves of realignment going back to the beginning of the NCAA. And if you don't believe me, just go ahead and look at what the composition of the SEC was when they formed. Um, Doesn't look the same as it does right now. Um, And you could say the same for other conferences, conferences that no longer exist anymore, um, so on and so forth. So that is why there is um, so much angst out there because you feel as if your conference is not in a position to be dictating the terms of what's going to happen next, that it's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten, because those are the two conferences that have the most lucrative television contracts. And oh, by the way, both of those television contracts are going to be up for negotiation again before the ACC contract is up in 2036, right? So if there's, not if, when, there's going to be another wave it's going to be around the time those television deals are up. Um, and so that's not that far off. So if you're the ACC, if you're a school within the ACC, you have to try and figure out, well, what's our future viability and what is this all going to look like? Nobody really knows. People are guessing. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows whether the conference is going to be as together in 2036 as it is right now. A lot of people think not, but I don't know. I can't sit here and say nobody can. Nobody has a crystal ball to accurately predict what is going to happen. But I can tell you right now that there are schools within the conference that are already mobilizing to prepare for that day so they're not left out. And there's other schools in the conference that are saying, no, we're fine. We have a grant of rights. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. We're locked in through 2036. So that is creating the push-pull dynamic within the conference about what do we do? What can we do? How do we make things better for ourselves? And there aren't really any answers right now. Nobody knows how the ACC makes things better for themselves beyond a renegotiated deal with ESPN. And as of right now, there is no renegotiated deal with ESPN. They need their football powers to be better for them to get any sort of renegotiated deal with ESPN. So if that happens, then maybe. But I understand why there are people out there that are doom and gloom because that's how it feels. But I know the commissioner uh, and the folks inside the conference are working hard to find answers to the questions everybody has. They're working with media partners and other consulting partners to figure out how do we create more revenue? How do we solve a lot of the issues that our athletic directors and our presidents are bringing to us right now? So it's not as if the ACC is just like, we're waiting for the world to end. They're trying. But I don't really know within the next year what they can do to help answer the bigger picture, more existential questions about how to survive when all the, these two other conferences are going to have the lion's share of the money. 
Well said. I just envision like a bunker somewhere between Tallahassee and Clemson <laughs> where like all, all their lawyers <laughs> in there foreign over the grant of rights day and night, you know, by uh, oil lamp or something. Yeah. Trying to, trying to find a, a loophole in it. And quill pen. Don't cool. forget the quill pen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining the ACC Now podcast. This has been uh, a pleasure and we've been overjoyed to have you as a guest and we'd love to do it again another time but thank you so much for coming on it has been a delight thank you andrew indeed and i look forward to seeing you soon hopefully in amelia island although that's 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 tbd we'll see hey n and o bosses send andrew to amelia island (laughs) we'll see if the mando helicopter is uh, is is available for that trip but uh, but thank you so much my friend we'll talk soon all right talk to you soon